have been in a message series uh, titled this, the graphic will be up on the screen there, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So we're going to finish this series out as we finish the new year out. And um, this whole series uh, is based on kind of the subtitle of the series is that it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally mature. In fact, up on the screen, uh, this is kind of where we started the series and built a foundation and where we're going to kind of land the plane this morning as, as we end the series. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are ideas that are inseparable and that it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So those two, two ideas are completely intertwined and we've been kind of basing this assumption and basing this series off of a book by a guy named Pete Scazzaro where for me personally, I'm just learning so much about myself and who God's created me to be. But I think the mistake many times, we have our list that we've been looking at each and every week is that, man, to be more spiritual and be more spiritually mature, I just got to do more things, right? It's like, I got I to do more Bible study. I got to, you know, join more small groups. I got more, more prayer, more spiritual warfare. Like, I gotta just worship more, you know what I mean? More, more, more justice, more gifts of the spirit, more prophecy. Like, that's how I'm going to be more spiritual. More grace, more, more. And we begin to confuse ourselves with spiritual maturity as in confusing ourselves as if it's something that we do rather than realizing maybe it's a posture that we take with God where he transforms us emotionally from the inside out. By adding more onto our spiritual plate does not necessarily equate automatically to spiritual maturity. Because here's the deal. I know a lot of angry church people that attend a ton of Bible studies. But they're emotional infants. Come on, somebody. Anybody ever met an angry church person? See, and here's my heart is that we don't want to be those people. The ones that do and have the list of more on the outside, but inside we're dying and we're an emotional mess. And here's what I'll say. Jesus cares about that for you. He cares about that for each and every one of us. And, and here's the deal. All these things are so important, right? If, you, if you've attended our church for more than a few weeks, you know that we talk about these things. We care about these things. These things are part of our values, but we also care about our emotional health and how God is transforming us from the inside out. And really, the basis of this idea is, is out of Genesis chapter 1. At the very inception of God's creation, we're just reminded that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. See, God created each and every one of us in his image, and God is an emotional God. And for many of us, we want to kind of like shove our emotions under the rug. But in this series, we've been learning how to healthily unpack and understand that our emotions are a part of the capacity in which God created each and every one of us. And it, it demands for us to be self-aware in God's image and the way he created us. Are we self-aware with the nuances of how God has created us as human beings. So the title this morning of how we're going to kind of land the plan of this series is this, Trusting Through the Wall, if you're taking notes this morning. Trusting Through the Wall. And this morning we're going to be talking about this idea of the wall, and we're going to be defining what that exactly is, or as some people have, have defined it, the dark night of the soul. So let's look at a scripture really quick we're going to begin with as Paul writes to the Philippian church. And uh, this is, I think this really helps us set the stage of understanding um, how we emotionally processed through times where of, of ups and times of downs, right? So Paul says, he writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He says this, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plen plenty or in weight. And this, is, this, this has a lot to do with the wall seasons of our life. Because faith is a journey. We can, we can look at the heroes of the, of the faith in the scriptures, 
Okay, let's t- let's take a few for a second just to kind of get us up to speed. Uh, one of the heroes of the faith, Abraham. Well, God called Abraham to leave his past life in Ur at the age of 75 and embark on a journey. Our faith is a journey. God called Moses from a burning bush to begin a new phase of his journey at the age of 80. God called the Israelites to leave Egypt and embark on a 40-year journey of personal transformation in the desert. God called David to leave the comforts of his job as a shepherd to conquer Goliath and to serve as king of Israel. God called Jeremiah to 40 to 50 years of difficult work, standing firm for God's values in the midst of a rebellious people. Of course, Jesus called the 12 disciples to a journey that would change their lives forever. See, our faith progresses through time, and it is a journey that we're pushing through. Not every season looks the same, but when we're journeying with God in our life, we eventually hit the wall. We eventually hit the wall, and I would argue this morning as we dive deeper into this is that in order to be spiritually mature, we've got to figure out how to go through the wall. We've got to figure out how to process through this thing we're calling the wall. So there's a really helpful uh, a book called The Critical Journey, Stages in the Life of Faith uh, by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gwillick. And we're going to look at this, and this for me this really helped kind of frame our progress and our journey of faith that many of us maybe have experienced ourselves in what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? So first off is, is stage one, what we're calling stage one. And stage one, as they define it, is this, life-changing awareness of God. So this is, this is the awareness of God. This is a season where it's like I've been made aware of the goodness of God and how, what he looks like in relationship with my life. It says this stage, whether in childhood or adulthood, is the beginning of our journey with Christ as we become aware of his reality. We realize our need for mercy and begin our relationship with him. Yeah, so this makes sense. This is the beginning of anyone's kind of spiritual journey. Let's keep going. Stage two. Stage two, as they define it, is what they're calling discipleship, right? This is a word we talk about often uh, because disciple-making is the mission of God. It's why we as the church exist. It's the mission that he told his church to go accomplish, right? So discipleship, this stage is characterized by learning about God and what it means to be a follower of Christ. We become part of a Christian community and begin to get rooted in the disciplines of faith. So this is how they're framing discipleship, right? is that we begin to learn and to grow, and we get in part of a community where we're all hopefully headed in the same direction with one another. Stage three, let's keep going. The active life. This is described as the doing stage. We get involved, actively working for God, serving Him and His people. We take responsibility by bringing our unique talents and gifts to serve Christ and others. See, this is why as a church we do things such as encouraging people to join a team on Sunday. Serving the body of Christ, but not making volunteerism the ultimate serving platform. We do something called the calling lab where it's like we want you to figure out what your calling is so that you can go do and be faithful to who God has uniquely created you to be. See, we serve the body of Christ. We figure out who God has uniquely created us to be and we go do that unique work that only we uniquely can do because we are unlike anyone else, right? I love this, this progress, this, the active life. Is how they define stage three. Stage four, here it is, the wall and the journey inward. They say, notice that the wall and the journey inward are closely related. The wall compels us into the journey inward. In some cases, the journey inward eventually leads us to the wall. Most importantly, remember, it is God who brings us 
to the wall. So fascinating as we're kind of trying to understand what this idea, exactly how we define this idea of the wall, right? Let's keep going. Stage five, the journey outward. Having passed through the crisis of faith and the intense inner journey necessary to go through the wall, we begin once again to move outward to do for God. We may do some of the same active external things we did before, also known as giving, give leadership, serve, initiate acts of mercy toward others. The difference is that now we give out a new grounded center of ourselves in God. We have rediscovered God's profound, deep, accepting love for us. A deep inner stillness now begins to characterize our work for God. So because of this wall type of season, we're a different person on the other side. And we're reapplying some of the things we knew about our faith in all sorts of new ways. And then lastly, stage six, as they define it, transformed into love. God continually sends events, circumstances, people, and even books into our lives to keep us moving forward on our journeys. He is determined to complete the work he began in us, whether we like it or not. God is into the idea of growth, right? His goal in the language of John Wesley is that we be made perfect in love, that Christ's love becomes our love both toward God and others. We realize that love, we realize love truly is the beginning and the end. By this stage, the perfect love of God has driven out all fear. Come on, somebody. And the whole of our spiritual lives is finally about surrender and obedience to God's perfect will. But here's the thing about the wall. We don't get to dictate its timing. In fact, we don't, in seasons of life, get to dictate the intensity or how long it lasts. These are circumstances that happen to us in the same way we don't control seasons, right? The seasons happen. It's a natural life cycle of what it means to live on the earth. In the same way, it's the same life cycle that many times we encounter with God. The seasons happen in the same way we have seasons where we encounter what we're defining as the wall. Walls are the same way like the seasons. I love what Pete Scazzaro says in this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and as uh, if you've been a part of the series, a lot of quotes just because it's just so good to me. So I, w- I want to share them with you. He says this. He says, for most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. We question ourselves, God, the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he is doing, where he is going, how he is getting us there, or when this will be over. So fascinating and helps paint the picture of something that each and every one of us experience in our lives when we hit the wall. It comes in various ways. It's not a one-time event, but many times it's different seasons in our life where we hit walls that we're required to break through. Or many times we get frustrated like it's like we're hitting our head against the same wall over and over, getting frustrated and frustrated and frustrated, right? Right? When we don't understand the wall that we're confronted with, it can leave us in a lot of long-term pain and confusion in our journey with God. But this is why it's so crucial to our emotional health that we emotionally process in a healthy way 
when we encounter this wall and what that means and what that implies with our relationship with God when we encounter these wall types of seasons. The walls in our life are really many times the bread and butter of our faith in Jesus. How grounded and rooted and real is our faith when we encounter a season where it just doesn't feel like anything's going our way. Pete Scazzaro says in this book as well, he says this, it'll be up on the screen. Some of us hide behind our faith to flee the pain of our lives rather than trust God to transform us through it. We utter platitudes like, in all things God works for the good, which is a scripture, Romans 8, 28, right? We smile and sing contemporary praise songs about our victory in Jesus. We don't curse or get bitter toward God, of course not. We keep it together to demonstrate to the weaker members of the body and the watching world that our faith is solid and strong. Let's just make sure we can just put up the right facade so people believe we've got it all together. But here's what an emotionally healthy faith actually does. It admits these things. I am bewildered. I don't know what God is doing right now. I know I've been in those seasons for my life personally. I am hurt. I am angry. Yes, this is a mystery. I am very sad right now. Or maybe straight from the words of Jesus. Oh God, why have you forsaken me? See, for, for many of us, it's so much more comfortable to project what we believe people want to see out of us as we project and quote-unquote witness. But are we actually witnessing in an emotionally healthy way the honesty of what God maybe has in front of us in this season, painful or not? Pete Scazzaro, he says this, he says, How do we know we are in the dark night? Our good feelings of God's presence evaporate. We feel the door of heaven has been shut as we pray. Anybody else? Darkness, helplessness, weariness, a sense of failure or defeat, barrenness, emptiness, dryness descend upon us. The Christian disciplines that have served us up to this time no longer work. We can't see what God is doing, and we see little visible fruit in our lives. This is God's way of rewiring and purging our affections and passions that we might delight in his love and enter into a richer, fuller communion with him. God wants to communicate to us his true sweetness and his love. He longs that we might know his true peace and rest. He works to free us from unhealthy attachments and idolatries of the world. He longs for an intimate, passionate love relationship with us. See, it's a, it's a, sometimes we encounter these seasons, and when we don't he- healthily process them, we lose out on the purification process of maybe what God is doing. And this is why St. John of the Cross, in his work, The Dark Night of the Soul, creates this category for what he calls the seven deadly imperfections, or many times in our culture that's known as the seven deadly sins. Urgh. Take your word, right? Um, but he, let's, let's break down each of these in this beautiful work by St. John of the Cross in terms of many times what God is purging from within us. And many times it re- reflects back on our selfishness in our lives, right? So the first one, pride. These people, they have a tendency to condemn others and become impatient with their faults. They are very selective in who can teach them. Anybody? Oof. Definitely been me in a 
many seasons. Avarice. They're discontent with the spirituality God gives them. They never have enough learning, are always reading many books rather than growing in poverty of spirit and their interior life. Info, 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 info. But never letting, allowing God to go deep into our emotions, our pains. Much like a couple weeks ago as we talked about having to go back in our lives and the pains of our life growing up in order to move forward. God wants us to explore to find healing in those areas many times that are down deep. What about luxury? This one. They take more pleasure in the spiritual blessings of God than God himself. Woo. I got a lot to say about that, but I'm not going to because I don't want to go off the cuff and say something offensive. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, number four, wrath. They're easily irritated, lacking sweetness, and have little patience to wait on God. This is me. This is my big one. I'm just going to say it right now. Wrath for me, right? I'm like the Moses who's hitting the rock. Bam! You know what I mean? It's like, come on, God! I get so frustrated. I get so irritated. God is constantly trying to purge the wrath within my personality and who he's created me to be and redeem it. He's constantly in this process. But it's difficult to even admit that and process through that. And know that that's a weakness and a part of my life. Spiritual gluttony. Let's keep moving. They resist the cross and choose pleasures like children do. So this is, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, God. I know of you. I know of your cross. I know of your forgiveness. But I'd rather do what I want to do. I'd rather kind of chase my own agenda, my pleasures, my way of thinking about life. Next, spiritual envy. They feel unhappy when others do well spiritually. They're always comparing. Yuck, right? This is ugh. But it's you and I. Many times. Sloth. They run from that which is hard. Their aim is spiritual sweetness and good feelings. Or many times as I define it, wanting to stay within the comfort of the temple and never going outside the walls. To face life and the reality of people that are living in a world that is so difficult, so hard. We'd rather turn a blind eye to the injustices of our world within our own private spiritual temples than actually break out of the Jerusalem-type temple that God has empowered us to leave and to go into all the world and join in with what God is doing in those places. But those places are uncomfortable. Earlier in this series, we, we talked about feelings. We talked about rather than shoving away feelings, we actually got to look at our feelings and how we react in certain types of situations, how our emotions kind of are impacted based on human relationship. And rather than brushing those things under the rug, understanding that God communicates and helps us grow through those very emotions. But we got to pay attention to those emotions. But the wall in the dark night of the soul, what we're talking about this morning, helps us not get obsessed with those very emotions, right? we got to take a look at them, but we can't idolize. We can't create idols out of the, this is just how I am, right? This demands progress. These are circumstances that demands, God's putting a demand on our life to have faith and to process through many times the things in our life where there needs to be areas of growth. But once again, it's ongoing. It's not a one-time deal as we journey with God. And it's really difficult because, once again, it's in his control. He chooses the time, the length, the level of intensity. Pete Scazzaro says this, he says, He has a unique purpose for each of us, knowing how much there is to cleanse out of our inner being 
and how much he wants to infuse of himself into us for his greater long-term purposes. Our Father knows how much we can handle. And walls, many times it's like, there might be everyday kind of ongoing problems that we can identify in our life, but that's not what walls are. They're not these kind of everyday problems. Many times we see these type of wall situations, even in the biblical narrative. I think about David when he was fleeing a jealous king for 13 years in the desert. Wow, the wall. Abraham waiting 25 years for the birth of his first child, Isaac. The wall right there, right? Job losing his 10 children, his health and possessions all in one day. Job, it's a book about a wall. Much that we can relate to in our human experience and relationship with God and how we process that. Pete Kazari says this, he says, ultimately God is the one who moves us through the wall. We need him. We got to be holding on. We got to be desperate for him. And with that comes mystery. How and when God takes us through it is up to him. We make the choices to trust God, to wait on God, to obey God, to stick with God, to remain faithful when everything in us wants to quit and run. But it is his slow, deep work of transformation in us, not ours powerful because once again it's the bread and butter of our faith it's it it goes beyond the facade faith it goes beyond the image that i can project the the behavior that i can so easily cooperate in two hours a week on a sunday well this is this is god wanting to go deep in our lives getting a hold of us helping us push through many times circumstances that on the other side we're going to be completely transformed and different people So what does that look like? What does it look like on the other side of the wall? Why does this journey, why is this journey of faith worth it, right? What type of people do we look like as we battle the tensions of life, pain, suffering, and many times the evil that we encounter in our lives? We're going to break down, as we kind of conclude this morning, the other side of the wall. What happens to us? How do we process? How are we different people? And, and number one is this, is on the other side of the wall, we have a greater level of brokenness. And this is huge for people of faith. This is huge for people of faith because this is a cure to something that's so prevalent in church circles. And anyone who's mad at church or has opinions about church or isn't want to affiliate with the church whatsoever, see, a greater level of brokenness becomes a cure and an antidote for something called judgment. Something called, I have the ability to cast judgment on you and your life because for whatever reason, I've created a level upon myself that assumes I'm greater. I have the ability in my own self-righteousness to condescend in my opinion, my attitude, and what I say against you as another human being. P.S., by the way, created in the image of God. The new face of Christian judgment, many times, can be such statements such as this. I can't believe she calls herself a Christian. Mega church members are superficial. Careful. Careful how you're talking about our family members. 
in this city? Is, is, is that really what Jesus is demanding out of you as we venture forward and what God specifically has for us as a church? Their church is small and dead. Look at what he is doing. He is not a Christian. I love what Pizza Zero says on this point. He says, a helpful way to measure your level of brokenness is to consider how offendable you are. Yikes. Yes, I realize offendable is not in the dictionary. Nice. Imagine an inflated, bloated person who, when criticized, judged, or insulted, immediately pulls back and reacts. Jeez, Pete, sounds like you're reading my mail, right? Um, he either goes on the attack or decides we no longer exist. Wow. Contrast that image with a broken person who is so secure in the love of God that she is unable to be insulted. When criticized, judged, or insulted, she thinks to herself, it is far worse than you think. What a perspective to have on our brokenness. Once again, I think one of the worst cliches in the church, love the sinner, hate the sin. I like love the sinner, hate your own sin a lot better. Starts with us. Starts with the person you look at when you wake up in the morning in the mirror. Number two is this. A greater appreciation for holy unknowing, the mystery of God, right? God can't be figured out. That's a good thing. When God goes beyond our human comprehension, when we realize we don't understand the ins and outs of how this life on earth works, and we get to a place where we admit God is greater and there's a mystery to that, I don't know about you, but I feel and sense a lot of peace when I actually break that down in my mind and process through the idea that I'm not in charge. You're not in charge. You don't get to be. You can inflate your life with ideas that make you believe that, but at some point you're going to die and have to face the realities of death and realize you're on a timeline. You're on limited time. And Pete says this. He says, God doesn't appreciate being demoted to the rank of our personal secretary or assistant. Remember who we are dealing with here. God is imminent, so close, and yet transcendent, so utterly above and far from us. God is knowable, yet he is unknowable. God is inside us and beside us, yet he is wholly different from us. For this reason, Augustine wrote, if you understand, it is not God you understand. Most of the time, we have no idea what God is doing. Uh-huh. Yep. There's times I'm just like, what? What are you doing right now, God? But is that, is that causing us to shelve our faith in, that, in those moments? When we face the walls and we trust God through the walls... We gain a childlike, deepened love for mystery. That childlike faith that Jesus talks about. It's profound. It's kind of like the ignorance is bliss a little bit. Of knowing, I don't have to know everything. But Father God, who trusts me, or who loves me, I can trust in you. Who has my best interests in mind. I'm going to trust you in the midst of this journey of life. Through the ups, through the downs, through the walls. Through the obstacles that seem too big. Through the Goliaths, right? Right? Number three, this is what happens on the other side of the wall. 
There's a, a deeper ability to wait for God. <laughs> I'm kind of this personality type where it's like, <sighs> I need to produce just in case God doesn't. I need to have a backup plan, right? I got to do something. I got to go. I got to be planned. I got to prep. I got to know what's ahead of me. And it's almost like God's like back here. And like we're like, I'm like running up, like taking steps ahead of him. He's like, chill out, right? Wait on me. Maybe you're in a season just like that. You're like, well, I, I just, I don't want to be patient. I don't want to wait on God. And you're running ahead. And Jesus is like, come on back. There's a lot of grace here. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. But you're running ahead. And you're not allowing me to be invited in this process because you aren't being patient. You aren't waiting on my perfect timing. <laughs> Might be my favorite quote this morning. Pete Cazero says this, while I kick and scream, God slowly teaches me to wait. Come on, somebody. Childlike faith, not childlike attitude, right? <laughs> Number four, a greater detachment. This is, this is where we're going to land with and, and leave with us. Because a journey with God, maybe, maybe you've bought into this lie, but the, the journey with God doesn't answer the question of, am I happy? It actually answers the question in our human capacity as broken people being put back together is, am I free? What does my freedom look like? How free are you in this life? Are you living within your own prison in which you've created in terms of your own brokenness? Or are you allowing God to be invited to a process where he wants to transform, heal, and help us become emotionally whole people and how we process through really difficult and tough seasons of our lives? Am I growing in the freedom God has given me? Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, we are to be marked by eternity, free from the dominating power of things. The wall, more than anything else, cuts off our attachments to who we think we ought to be or who we falsely think we are. It helps this, the way that this is processed and the way that it's presented, help me really process and understand 1 Corinthians chapter 7 a whole lot better, specifically verses 29 through 31, where Paul says this, he says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should liz, live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. It's so profound and offensive. But it's because God is confronting deep idols within our lives. Everything with an open hand. That spouse even that you consider to be yours and only yours and this gift from God, don't let it become an idol. Don't act as if it's your possession, but put it in the right frame of realizing we must release those attachments to God in light of our dependence fully and completely based on him. When you get married, yeah, two become one but it does not reduce the individual calling that God has placed on your life when you face Jesus someday. Because you're going to face him. Just you and him. Are you faithful to the unique way he created you, the specific calling that God has 
for your life? Are you faithful to trust God through the process? I'll leave us with our last quote, and it's not from Pete Scazzaro, but a guy named Richard Rohr, and I highlighted it in the chapter where this was presented. I just thought it was so good and so sobering. And he says this, he says, Life is hard. You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control. You are going to die. It's sobering because it's so real. And it, it demands for us to rethink the values, the priorities, the way in which we approach and live life. See, this journey that we're in with Jesus, it calls us to a life of undivided attention to him. It includes trusting him through the wall. Knowing the process that we're in is for a greater purpose. But it's hard. Because many times as human beings, we feel incapable. But this is what's so beautiful about the gospel. This is so, what's so beautiful about the fact that Jesus came. He didn't leave us hanging. He didn't leave us up to our own devices trying to figure out how to process through some of the toughest seasons and times in our life. Jesus came, he died, he resurrected, and he empowered us with strength, power, and relationship. That through those times, he's going to be the one in impossible situations to break through the impossibilities. He's going to give you the, be the one to give you a radical love, like a love your enemies type of a love. Like a love Democrats if you're a Republican type of a love, right? Whatever you frame as impossible, see, it is impossible if it's on your own strength, but that is why God died, sent his spirit to empower you, to give you strength, to give you, offer you relationship and a capacity to grow and do impossible things beyond your human capacity. To grow and to be emotionally healthy, to see a wall, and to frame it in the right perspective, to be honest with the emotional process as you're going through it, but hanging deeply and imperfectly onto God along for the ride, to see yourself be transformed, and to look more like the image of Jesus, completely transformed on the other side. What would it look like if we trusted God through this process? For some of you in the room, you may be like, wow, you're reading my mail because I'm been in or I'm in right now a season where I've encountered a wall. Will you trust him? You may be a person, you're like, hey, I'm on a mountaintop right now, Christmas, you know what I mean? Like, it was awesome, love and life. The wall's coming because God loves you enough to help you process through something that's going to transform you to be exactly who he's created you to be, to have the maximum position to impact wherever you find yourself in your he loves you so much to do that. But will you trust him through the wall? My prayer as we end this series, as we continue to process through our emotional redemption, is that we will be courageous enough to say, yes, God. Yes, I will trust you through those very seasons, through those very ups and downs. Amen? Can we pray together this morning?